the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This morning, I want to focus, as I said, on the holy smoke that is really holy. The real kind of smoke that the book of Revelation talks about that matters to God and that somehow describes who God is in our relationship to God. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's broadcast with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the first portion of a message entitled Holy Smoke. That's Holy Smoke. And you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. We will bring you the first portion today, but due to our time constraints, we'll need to bring you the second portion the next time we get together. But don't forget, you can always find these messages online in their entirety without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with today's Reaching Your Heart. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father God, we don't know what holiness is because we live in a profane age where a sense of the depth and power and majesty of God is missing in our practical experience. And it becomes real when we take you for granted and we don't realize that your presence is always with us, the holiness of God. So Lord, help us as we open the Bible today to recommit our lives to you now, Father, we've prayed for those that we care about. We love our people. You love us. So as we open the Word, if they're listening out there, may they know we love them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the late 60s, there was a television program that made fun of the DC comic book series Batman. You ever hear that? It kind of had a tune. I mean, I was a kid. I was a TV junkie. Junkie's the right word. da 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 And it went, Batman. That's what it did. I used to watch it as a child, and I was wasted a lot of valuable time when I should have been in hot pursuit of godly things. I remember the handsome Adam West, who starred as Batman. He got so typecast, he could never act at anything hardly again. And the very verbal Burt Ward, who started as Robin, Batman and Robin. They called themselves, and others did, the dynamic duo. Now, while Batman was famous for Batman's smarts and wealth, among other things, to a large extent, Robin was famous for his very guttural, emotional statements that he would make when under duress. And there was a word he used at the very beginning of all these statements. It was the word holy. Like, holy Hamlet, Batman. Holy flight plan. Holy alter ego. Holy nick of time. Holy bat logic. But perhaps the most famous of all was the exclamation, holy smoke, that was shouted out early in the first season of Batman in 1966. Holy smoke. Now, what is holy smoke? I ask this question to you. I mean, we live in a culture where this term, which found its way into this iconic 
television series in the 60s. How did they become a part of our psyche? Well, I went to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and the expression has a clearly defined modern definition. It reads, used to say that one is very surprised, pleased, or excited. Example, holy smoke, you got your hair cut. So it means, wow, so it must be influenced by the series. I think what happened in the 60s has created a definition in the English language. This expression in the English language, holy smoke, though, predates Batman and Robin by hundreds of years. Here is a poem written by John Ingelow in the 1860s. She never loved since I went with thee to sacrifice among the hills. She smelt the holy smoke and could no more divine till the new moon. So here it is in poetry a hundred years earlier. But if you go back even further, this expression, holy smoke, was clearly religious and not secular. It had no secular notion to it. Sir John Beaumont in 1627 was influenced by the book of Revelation when he wrote this, "...who lift to God for us the holy smoke of fervent prayers." Now he's getting to the real thing. It's amazing how a concept... An archetypical statement in our culture can morph into something as silly and trivial as what Robin, you know, blurted out in Batman and Robin. But it really means something, the term holy smoke. And I want to get into that today from the Word of God because this term is coming from the book of Revelation. It has affected the English language. This morning I want to focus, as I said, on the holy smoke that is really holy the real kind of smoke that the book of Revelation talks about that matters to God and that somehow describes who God is in our relationship to God. In the book of Revelation, the word smoke is found exactly 12 times. Now, I have done word counts in the book of Revelation, and there are no accidental sequences in this book. It is a masterful information grid from the divine mind. It integrates with the whole Bible as an information grid. And, you know, people who challenge the power of God's Word do not understand, if they're not empirical, they don't apply scientific principles to the Bible, that the Bible passes the science test. The Bible is this amazing document that breaks time-space boundaries to produce linguistic structures that are meaningful, names that come into perfect mathematical associations. And I have frankly dedicated the rest of my intellectual life to putting this before the world what I am telling you right now. So 12 is the number of God's people. 12 times the word smoke occurs. So it must be important to God's people. 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. 12 apostles of the church in the New Testament. 12 times the word smoke is used. And the very first time the word smoke is used in the book of Revelation, it is used just like Sir John Beaumont used it in 1867. Smoke represents prayer in Revelation 8, 4. And so holy smoke must mean prayer that goes to God. So open your Bibles. Let's look at Revelation 8, verse 3 and verse 4, and let's work through it together. Now here we have the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets are introducing salvation history from the perspective of God's intervening judgments in history. Christ is introduced at the beginning of the trumpets as the mighty angel of the Lord. Not a created being. No, he is not. He is eternal God. But Paul and Isaiah said he took the form of a servant. He looked like an angel in the Old Testament, but he was God in angel form. And so he has that picture here as the mighty protector of God's people as the trumpets begin at the beginning of the Christian era. Verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. So he's the mediator, mighty angel. You know, there's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus, Paul says. And so here he is pictured as the mighty angel of the Lord. 
And it was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. Now, don't miss the nuances here. He's given this incense, much incense, at the altar, which is the altar in the outer court, for the golden altar that is in the sanctuary. So the trumpets begin with a transition from earth to heaven, from the cross to the place of mediation at the beginning of the Christian era. And if you follow the trumpets very carefully, you will notice that the altar dominates all the way until the sixth trumpet, which means we are in holy place ministry from the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth trumpet. But when you move to the seventh trumpet, there's a transition from the altar, which represents the holy place, the altar of prayer, the golden altar, to the Ark of the Covenant in Revelation eleven nineteen, So there's a movement into the most holy place in the seventh trumpet. Now we know from the study of the book of Daniel that, that transition occurred in the year 1844 at the end of the 2300-year prophecy, the longest time prophecy of the Bible. So this is on the front side of things. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God. How do your prayers get to God? How do my prayers get to God? They don't get to God because we're good at praying. They don't get to God because we can boast of being mighty prayer warriors. They get to God because the hand of Christ as the mighty defender of God's people, lifts our prayers with the merit of his perfect prayer and sacrifice at the altar. It lifts it to God and thus it joins as incense, holy smoke to God. Now I don't know about you, but I'm moved by that picture that Christ would so wrap himself around our prayers that his prayer and our prayers become one marvelous ascent of smoke, of holy smoke of incense to God. Now think about what the verse is saying here. Incense was given to the angel at the altar to mix with the prayers of the saints at the golden altar before God. The angel at the altar, as I said, is the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord, an expression of Christ. The transition of natures has occurred in the incarnation. He has not lost his mighty power to protect. And so the mighty protector of Israel, our Savior, in the Old Testament became a human being in the New Testament. And at the place of the altar, the sacrifice occurred. And friends, if you don't think Jesus prays for you, you go to your Bible, you look at what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane when he dug his hands into the dirt and clots of blood began to form on his head, as Luke says, thromboi, thrombosis. And he was dying on the ground as he was praying for your soul. He prayed for you from Gethsemane to the cross. And at the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He meant you. The heart of God was manifested in Christ in prayer for the human race. There is no such thing as this idea that God doesn't care about us. Friends, Jesus went to a hell worse than the lake of fire to save you from your sins. God loves you. And don't let some crazy idea that some skeptic wants to put into your heart shield you from the most important truth of life, that God in Christ loves you. The cross is the demonstration of this. Christ was praying at the cross. At the altar right here on earth, Jesus took every prayer that was ever prayed from Adam to the end. And Jesus mixed them with his prayer, much incense. And they went to heaven when he arose as our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Jesus, as he took those precious prayers to the very throne room of God, his mighty hand presents them to God as authoritative requests to meet our human need. That's what happens in heaven. 
It's not some vacuous place where nothing goes on. Christ is engaged with our prayer concerns. There's unholy smoke too. We've talked about holy smoke. Let's look at unholy smoke. Turn to Revelation 9, verses 1 to 3. Fifth trumpet, describing the medieval apostasy that blotted out the Bible, the Word of God, the philosophy that found its way into the church that resulted in a mighty missionary era of priests who manipulated philosophy to destroy the truth of the Reformation. That's what the fifth trumpet is about. Now, just look at verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen from heaven. It pictures the fallen church like the fallen Lucifer. And he was given the key of the shaft of the bottomless pit. You know, he's not from the upside of things. He's from the downside of things. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose, here it is, smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened. Now, the sun represents God's word in the book of Revelation. The law of God is a light and a lamp. Christ's face shines like the sun because he's the living word. It blotted out the word of God in the Middle Ages. It says the air was darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Angels fly in mid-heaven in the book of Revelation. So this terrible effect blotted out angel activity in the Middle Ages when the word of God should be interacting with human lives. Verse 3, Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. In the fifth trumpet in Revelation 9, the shaft to the bottomless pit opens up. That's where the devil belongs. That's where the evil angels have been put, according to Jude and Peter. And it opens up and they come out. The sun representing the word of God is blotted out and the locusts, an evil army of demonic false ministers, cover the earth. They come from the bottomless pit. Now in the Bible, there are prayers that are offered to God. Where do they go? They go down or up? What? They go up. But what if you are actually worshiping the enemy and you think you're worshiping God? The Bible says men worship the beast and the dragon in the book of Revelation. They don't go up. Where do they go? They go down. So this is bad smoke. And so the prayers, the concerns of evil followers affects the course of history if they are not opposed by the prayers of God's people mingled with the merits of Christ. And thus we learn right here in the book of Revelation that there is a cosmic controversy and prayer is on the line. we got to pray to be on the right side of things. And so bad smoke coming from the pit, the opposite of the good smoke. Now this false smoke motivates evil demon-like locusts to be on the march against the righteous in the book of Revelation. And this false smoke from the pit inspires the enemy of souls to let these locusts sting those who do not have the seal of God and follow God. I mean, so this is an amazing picture of smoke here. It's the opposite of the real thing. So we have to pray harder as Christians. Why? Because the enemy has praying people who are not praying for the right things. And thus our prayers must match and overtake their prayers for the cause of God. In the book of Revelation, the destruction of the wicked after the proclamation of the third angel's messages. Now we have been focusing in recent weeks on the first, the second, and third angel's messages here. The impact of these messages on human history at the time of the end. And I mean, let me just say something here directly to you. If you believe that you can get through end time events without having a grasp of the first, the second, and the third angel's messages in your heart and head, both. You're wrong. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. 
Each of our messages is prayed over. Biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. God has not given us these messages to have a superficial knowledge of their meaning. He has given us these messages that we might know God, be firm in our faith, and stand in the last days. And so I say without apology, we need to understand the third angel's message. You know, this idea that we're living in some progressive age of the church, we don't need prophecy anymore, that that's a relic of the past, that idea comes directly from the bottomless pit. It's part of the bad smoke. We need the good stuff that empowers us to know God, that empowers us to know our Bibles. And so the third angel's message is that kind of stuff. Now, in the third angel's message, there's smoke that goes up. So it's got to be good smoke. It's not smoke that goes down. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Let's look at the third angel's message this morning. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand... Verse 10, he also shall drink of the wine of God's wrath poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, and he shall be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, here's the key verse. And the smoke of their torment, what does it say in the Bible? Goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Now the Greek word is anapausis. It's the word for Sabbath rest. They have no Sabbath rest day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. The third angel's message, friend, is the final warning that prepares the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. It is the most solemn warning that God will ever give to this world. The generation that receives this clear warning based upon the clear admonition here given has a loud voice from heaven. Heaven speaks up. Heaven will shout this thing out because we must not miss this message. That generation, based on the language of the third angel, will see Jesus return. When the mark of the beast is instituted, the warning of the mark will go out with a loud voice as described in Revelation 14.9. And shortly after that warning is given, Christ will appear, and the glory of Christ will be inconsistent with the experience of the beast and its worshipers. So that's why we cannot afford to ignore the content and warning of the third angel's message in our own personal lives. We cannot buy in to this secular slide in the Christian church that says forget prophecy, just get religious and lovey-dovey. Friend, we need the content of the Bible to love God right. So in Revelation 14, 11, the worshipers of the beast will lose, as it says clearly in the Greek language, anapausis, Sabbath rest at the time of the end. Why? Because they have opted for a false gospel a gospel that pits the law of God against the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it is taught that these two are at odds with each other. Friend, Jesus died for my sins on the cross. Did He die for yours? He died for me. And because He died for my sins, He took care of my broken law business. But because He did that, He did not set aside His moral law. So when you come to believe that the moral law of God is set aside by the love of God, you have a false notion of the gospel. Revelation 14.12 tells us that God's law and God's gospel are vitally linked together at the time of the end. They are not to be separated. 
God will have an obedient people, not a legalistic people, not a perfectionistic people who boast about their own development. God will have an obedient people who have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The great platform of their growth is acceptance. And He will come with Jesus for that obedient and faithful church at the time of the end. Look at Revelation 14.12. It's stated directly here. Here is a call. So the three angels are a single call. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God. And what does the next text say at the end? The faith of Jesus. So God's law, the gospel proclamation, the faith of Jesus are together at the time of the end. And we must be very careful when we state this fact, that we never come to believe that the law of God is the basis of our acceptance. We keep the law of God because we are accepted as Christians. You see, commandment keeping is a spirit-filled sanctification experience that is the fruit of the gospel. But you see, when we have the true gospel, we will want God's law written in our hearts, which is what the new covenant says. We will not run away from the precepts of God's law. And so a theology that is promoted by preachers across this land that would have men and women believe that God's law or any precept of the Decalogue can be set aside is a teaching that has come from the bottomless pit. It is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and through the power of God we have changed lives. So just before this vital call is made in Revelation 14.12, Revelation 14.11 says the smoke of their torment. This is tough language of the third angel. It goes up forever. Those worshipers, the beast, it just goes up. So what on earth is happening when this smoke goes up? The prayer is supposed to go up. That's holy smoke, right? So why is the smoke of their torment ascending like prayer should go up? That seems to be a contradiction. Now we have seen that there is good smoke and bad smoke in the Revelation. But this smoke that torments the wicked is eternal smoke that goes up. So we've got to really delve into our Bibles to understand it. It's good smoke. It goes up, not down. So where is it coming from and what's it about? Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis. Right here in the third angel's message, we have a direct allusion to the person of God, to the fire and smoke that defines the Shekinah glory of God that appeared to Abraham in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God had Abraham cut two bullocks in two. He passed between the parts. Why? Because he made a covenant with Abram. He told Abram that he would protect his children, his descendants that would follow him. He would give them the land of promise. And thus, in the night, when Abram did this, you know, ravens came and tried to eat away at the sacrifice, and he drove the ravens away because there was a conflict of light and darkness in the night. And Abraham was praying his way through the night till God showed up. And when God showed up, he did something very unusual with these two pieces of the bullock. Genesis 15, verse 17. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot. You see that in your Bible? Verse 17. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Wow. So here are these two supernatural things. A smoking fire pot. Now smoke represents darkness. You can't see it all. The Bible says God dwells in darkness. But, you know, the torch represents light. It illumines the night. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What we have here is a picture of the preexistent father and his son in a holy compact, a holy covenant for Abraham, for the world, passing between these two parts. Now, it was understood in ancient times 
that when you made a covenant and you cut a bullock in two, both parties were to pass between the parts to confirm the fact that if they did not keep that covenant, they would be cut in two. It was a great way of signing the document. Imagine buying a car. I just bought a car this week. I bought a new car recently. It was time to let the old iron steed go that my son Donald had pieced back together. Boy, am I glad it's gone. I was looking for an excuse to get rid of that thing. But I was going to trade it in. And my son Donald says, Dad, I want that thing. John Michael said, save the Subaru. So I didn't trade it in. I'll be driving it down to Tennessee where they'll continue to work on this thing. It has more lives than a cat, you know, nine lives. The Subaru just keeps on going. Like a Timex watch, it took a licking and it kept on ticking. So here's the point. When I signed this document, which was a contract, I paid for the thing up front. I reserve money. I save it every year. So I buy a car. I don't have to go into debt for it. And that's really what the deal is here. Now, imagine this guy coming up to me and saying, Pastor Mike, we got a sign for this car. We're going to cut an animal in two, put it here in the middle of the Ford Academy place. You walk between the parts. If you don't pay for the car, we're going to cut you up. That's what it means. But notice the imagery. God passes between the parts. Well, unfortunately, we'll need to leave it there for the first portion of this broadcast. Join us again the next time we get together when we complete Holy Smoke. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Your heart.